0: And sometimes since we did a bared bite thankfully the world is returning to some degree of normality and we're getting to meet again in person uh, I thought it was time to talk again to my old friend Orit van Herden because there's a lot of stuff coming down the track on corporate uh, supply chain due diligence uh, human rights due diligence and so on and just recently the European Union the Council of Ministers and the European Parliament um, agreed the text of a new directive it's actually an up- Grade of an old directive on non-financial reporting, but it will require companies to report out in more detail of things such as environmental and human rights standards within within their organisation. And coming rapidly down the legislative pipeline, uh, probably to be adopted later this year, is a specific directive on uh, supply chain due diligence. And I'll come back to that in a little bit later in this. this Chat with Arith. So Orit, as always, a pleasure to see you, my friend. You've always been at the cutting edge when it comes to supply chain due diligence. Going back to your days, first of all in the ILO, and then of course with the Fair Labor Association, and now back to the consultancy work with you do with uh, many large multinational corporations. Tell me a straight question: How ready are big multinational corporations for what's coming at them in relation to supply chain due diligence? The short answer, Tom, is not. Okay, tell
1: me, explain to me. So the new due diligence laws represent something of a sea change in terms of regulation. We've had 20 or 25 years of voluntary CSR work where companies promoted compliance with a handful of uh, handpicked human rights obligations. That, frankly, didn't do enough to protect those rights. So parliaments around the world, regulators around the world, have, I would think, gotten frustrated with the progress made by CSR. And the trade unions and NGOs, in particular, have lost faith in CSR initiatives. And so they've come together to push for legally binding due diligence regulations, which, go a lot further than the old CSR expectations. And frankly, most companies have not
0: computed that difference yet. Let's take a step backwards. The old obligations, corporate social responsibility obligations, these were largely voluntary and sort of self-imposed by companies. And what you're saying is, even though if they were audited by outside companies, they they didn't go far enough. So, frankly, if you take something
1: like child labour or forced labour, you know, very clearly defined global challenges. We have not made progress on those in the last 25 or 30 years. In fact, for those two, we have more slaves, we
0: have more child labourers around the world than ever before. Let, Let me just stop you there. It comes as a shock to many people when you talk about slavery that there is still slavery in the world. What do we mean by slavery? So,
1: of course, uh, you know, in, the, in, in ILO terms, this would be forced labor, right? So, they've clear definitions for the coercion that would be used to get people to work and to prevent people from leaving that job. There are other forms which come close to that. And so, we've got this definition now, this rather fuzzy definition of modern forms of slavery, And countries like the UK and Australia and so on have adopted modern slavery acts. But we've also got situations like that in the Uyghur Xinjiang region in China, you know, which has prompted the U.S. to adopt the Uyghur Forced Labor Act, which literally creates a presumption, a rebuttable presumption, that anything coming out of the Xinjiang region was made with industrial scale, state-sponsored forced labor. So. You know these problems have grown, frankly, on the watch of corporate social responsibility. So the parliaments have said, "Okay, enough with voluntary measures. We now need legally binding measures."
0: For instance, in recent years, we've seen the French law on what's what's it called, vigilance. Vigilance. My pronunciation is terrible, and I know there's one sort of due to come into force fairly shortly in Germany. Do these have more teeth, or are they still? not quite where the game is going. So what the trade unions and NGOs
1: and parliamentarians have been pushing for is the operationalization of Professor John Ruggie's UN Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights. So we're getting back to the core concepts
0: of the UNGPs. Sorry, of the- just, I know what they are and you know what they are, but for people listening, just remind us what the, the Ruggie principles are. Right. So the key
1: construct in those UNGPs was that of due diligence. Now, most companies understand due diligence as an inward-looking risk assessment. So for example, if you're preparing an M&A activity, you would look at what's the risk to me of acquiring this company? Okay. However, in the UNGPs, it's an outward-looking due diligence requirement. What risk do I pose to society and the environment through my business activities. So there's a key change here, a key shift in the emphasis of the due diligence requirement. Secondly, it's an ongoing requirement. So whereas most social audits at the moment, compliance audits are an annual event. You know, you check up maybe on an ad hoc basis on your supplier. Due diligence in the UNGPs is an ongoing obligation to constantly scan your business footprint for risks to human rights or the environment. Secondly, once you detect a risk, you have to take the appropriate steps to prevent or avoid or mitigate that risk. And if a harm has occurred, you have to make remedies available, including remediation. So it's a very clear set of obligations these were picked up by the OECD mm-hmm. who have now developed a whole body of guidance documents on how to implement the UNGPs due diligence expectations in respect of conflict minerals or respect of um, garments textiles and apparel and footwear and so on so it's become it's becoming the
0: mainstream in terms of you, you, responsible you, business. You mentioned there uh, are conflict minerals, and people can understand. I think, there, I think there's been a couple of movies about that subject, if I'm not mistaken, right? And, you know, people can understand garments after the bar- Bangladesh ran a plaza and so on. But what about the rest of the supply chains? You know, for instance, let's say I'm, da- I'm Danone, the big French company. Am I supposed to do due diligence on the farmers who are supplying me milk to make my yogurts? The short answer is yes, but most of these
1: new supply chain laws recognize that that's a big ask, okay, for a company to suddenly map its whole supply chain from raw materials to recycling and to identify risks all the way along there. So they're doing it in tranches. They're starting with big companies and they're saying you have an obligation to perform due diligence up to your first tier suppliers. But make no mistake, this will extend they will the the thresholds will come down to smaller and smaller companies and they will include more and more of the supply chain over time so so my advice to companies is you know get good at this stuff now and once you've got it in place for your first tier you'll be able to extend it to subsequent
0: tiers when you have to so let me take an example i'm Carrefour, the big french supermarket shane One of my biggest suppliers is Danone. Does Carrefour now have to audit Danone to ensure that Danone is compliant? And does does Carrefour have to ensure that Danone has audited its supply chain? In other words, how spread out is this?
1: Exactly. It's going to create a cascade of expectations. So Carrefour will sit there and say, okay, we've got 50,000 suppliers or 100,000 suppliers. Let's take the big ones and let's make them assure us that they are conducting due diligence. So our due diligence obligation is to ask them for proof that they are doing their due diligence. We know that Danone is using vanilla from Madagascar. seen a documentary on Arte about you know, child labour and other horrendous working conditions in the vanilla sector in Madagascar. So we say to Danone, give us some proof that
0: you've done your due diligence on that and that you've got that risk under control if you're a big a multinational company what do i need to do today now you know, forget about you know we know the laws are coming down the track we know they're going to be extensive and we know it's going to get more extensive but if i'm sitting there today let's say you know as i head into 2023 what should i be saying to my chief executive this is what we need to be thinking about this is what we need to be doing now so let me just um, add a couple of the other
1: dynamics of these sure. new supply chain laws. I mentioned earlier that trade unions and civil society have been pushing for these ever since Rana Plaza. Okay? They've, in Bangladesh, they created the Bangladesh Fire and Building Safety Accord. And that accord was meant to have binding legal commitments from the companies that signed up to it. And they see this as a template, as a model that they want to apply to the whole supply chain. So they worked very hard to lobby the G20, the G7, to lobby Angela Merkel, and to get these supply chain laws into the mix. So now we have a raft of due diligence laws coming out. Some of them are specific to a human rights topic like child labor or forced labor, or environmental topic like deforestation. Some of them are specific to a region like the Uyghur autonomous region in China. But they all have the same logic. Companies must do their due diligence and show, that's know and show is the name of the game. Okay, They've got to be able to show that they did their due diligence. That's very different to the CSR social social auditing process that we've had to date. Secondly, these trade unions have ensured that the laws all include an obligation to ensure that there are grievance mechanisms at local level and that local internal and external stakeholders have a complaints channel. They would ideally like a civil liability channel, but at least a complaints channel. So what we are opening up now is a situation where works councils in Europe will be able to demand their company know and show and that they, the works council participate in that know and show exercise. So works council will be able to go to management and say, have you done your due diligence on Danone? And can we see that? And can we discuss that with our partners in Madagascar to make sure that they agree that due diligence was done and that appropriate steps were taken to prevent or mitigate
0: risks? Let me be a little bit specific about this. Are you saying that we're going to see in the laws that trade unions, uh, works councils, committee don't but them, whatever you want to call them, uh, including perhaps European works councils are going to have a, a legal right to demand this information. It's not going
1: to, it's in the German supply chain law, for example. It's a major push. And the, you know this is contested territory, right? We saw- oh, yeah,
0: yeah, tell me about it.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. We saw amendments to the German supply chain law right down to the wire. We're seeing the same thing with the European, what they call uh, CS3D, Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. This will all be contested, but the name of the game is that trade unions and NGOs want to open up channels for stakeholders to complain and hold companies to account. So under the European legislation, every member state will have to name and designate an agency to whom those complaints will go. But you will not be limited to that. So you can do forum shopping. So trade unions and NGOs all over the world will be able to pick a slam dunk issue, child labor, forced labor, living wage, lay a complaint in the most favorable jurisdiction in Europe, and the company will
0: have a complaint to answer. They will have a case to answer. What you're saying, Art, is that every country that a company has operations in makes it liable to the laws of that country in relation to these matters. A bit like we've seen unions in the past present multiple complaints to multiple OECD contact points. Exactly. Exactly. And so this is going to be the OECD contact point system. On rit still. big. Rit big. OK. And, and tell me, and I'll come back to a second part of this question in a moment. This is a complaints procedure. Now, what happens? You know, What's the remedies to a complaint? Right. So the company will have to show that either two things, either that
1: the complaint is frivolous, it has no no foundation in fact, or that they did do their due diligence, did take appropriate steps, and if necessary, that they provided remedies. So my advice to companies is put those systems in place now and make sure that they're working, right? Because with social audits, there was always an expectation that the supplier was compliant and the supplier would get their suppliers to be compliant. We can't make those assumptions anymore. So make sure that risk, and of course, under the new due diligence regulations, you're not testing compliance, you're identifying risk. So what is a lot of that risk is going to be in weak HR system. If you want to know, is there a risk of child labor? The first place you look at at is how do they hire? Mm. How do they verify age? Same with forced labor. How do they hire people? How do they ensure that they weren't trafficked or forced into that job? So the risk identification
0: process would be a thorough HR review. So are we on top of this? Exactly. Yeah. 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 So tell me, child labor, forced labor, what are the other
1: big issues going to be? So, of course, in corporate codes of conduct, we normally see eight or nine issues identified. Now you have to cover all human rights. The, you know, the, the Ruggy principles, the UNGPs are quite clear that your due diligence obligation applies to all human rights. So that means that in some countries, the, you know, the problem might be of a fundamental uh, ILO principle. But in other countries, it might be land grabbing. Was there free prior and informed consent when that supplier acquired the
0: land that they needed? So, so we're, we're, we're talking about indigenous communities and the, the right to tribal lands and so on. Exactly. So and you know, discrimination
1: is one of those issues which was very lightly covered in corporate codes of conduct and social audits. I think that now, you know, we live in a post me too world and so on. We will see a lot more emphasis on structural forms of discrimination, harassment and abuse, which companies would have hard times showing that they had really done their due
0: diligence and they'd prevented those risks. And look, one last question before we wrap this up. You mentioned first-tier suppliers, but it won't stop there. Sure, it won't. Uh, how far down the supply chain... May, uh, uh, let me come back to the Danone question. You know, Carrefour, where did you get your milk from? And did the farmer who get got that milk, did he use environmentally friendly pesticides on his grass? Are we going down to that level? Yes, definitely. So the environmental dimension of
1: this due, these due diligence laws will also require a lot, a lot more effort on the part of companies. So you know what fertilizers or herbicides or pesticides were used, what, uh, was there any you know, pollution to soil, water or air and so on. So a lot of the worst risks, the highest risks will be at the agricultural level particularly if there's smallholder farmers involved. Mm. And so companies are going to have to get good at at finding partners in country who can help them identify those
0: risks. And You mentioned that governments are going to have to put in place contact points to which complaints can be made and so on. What about civil remedies, going to the courts, looking for compensation and so on? Who will have the right to initiate such actions? Consumers, for example. Um, some of these laws have a strong consumer
1: protection dimension to them. So a consumer could go to court and say, I have been harmed because Carrefour, or a supermarket, did not
0: do their due diligence and they sold me a product made of child labor. And therefore, I was morally outraged. I'd use a phrase. So what about trade unions and NGOs? Will they have a right of action, do you think? Yes so they will most of these laws
1: define stakeholders quite generously and they allow local stakeholders to be represented by international stakeholders so you can clearly see for example in the German supply chain law how a local an international trade union a global act global union for example could link up with its local affiliates to bring a complaint against a supplier to say a major german company and then create the usual leverage leverage yeah, game, you know,
0: and link it to a campaign, for example. It, it, it's tailor-made for that. So join all of the dots together because the dots will join themselves if you don't. Exactly. Okay, so what, what you would say to companies is, you want to be on this now? Yes, and put in place, you know, the old social audits don't scale, like right? you can't
1: audit 50,000 suppliers. So you're going to need online systems of risk identification. That's what I'm working at at the moment is developing a platform to help companies do online risk identification and then immediately
0: automate the appropriate responses. Let me just finish by saying, why don't you, got to come and talk to us about this face-to-face, man. You know that, you know, there's only so much you can do on these things, but you know, the questions are going to be enormous. So, all right. Thanks for taking the time today to talk to us on this. I'm sure we're going to be back to you because this is where it's going and this is what companies need to be concerned about. So appreciate you taking the time. See you soon. Bye.